It's the Redirect Podcast. Search industry research, discussion, and analysis from the Black Truck Media and Marketing Headquarters. And now, redirecting you to the Black Truck Team. Welcome to episode 60 of the Redirect Podcast. It's Friday, October 19th, 2018. I'm Jason Dodge, founder of Black Truck Media and Marketing. I'm joined this week by Ashley and Patrick from the Black Truck team. Hey, happy 60th episode. Hey. Right? We're old. 60. Whoa. <laughs> That's retirement age, right? So we have to hit 67 now, right? Uh, it depends on when you would like to start drawing on your IRA. Okay, yeah. we're going to drop the mic at episode 67. Okay. We're out. Wait, peace. Yep. Probably not. We'll keep going. Yeah. We'll keep going. That's what everybody says. If you enjoy what you do, you just keep going. So the show must go on. All right, so not a whole lot moving and shaking in the industry this week. Uh, partially, full disclosure, I think we've all had our heads down um, going through a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, projects and, and reworks of things, so not, not a whole lot um, to report there. Pat, you did a little bit of traveling this week. You went down to Chicago and met up with our friends at Google a uh, part of the Google Partners, uh, especially uh, with some of the other Google Premier, Partner Premier folks, and um, hung out with them for an entire day and talked nothing more than attribution the whole day. Yeah, being located in Grand Rapids, we're kind of strategically located in Chicago. We can get there in less than three hours mm-hmm. if you leave at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> and you pick up an hour. And pick up an hour, yeah. So three hours there, but you get there in two yeah did you drive 88 miles an hour i did i did i left uh, a couple of streaks on the highway (laughs) yeah my license plate was spinning can you picture it audience can you see what we're talking when i edit this i'll make sure i get some i'll get some marty mcfly in there Great, Scott. Uh, yeah, so I was out there for uh, part of their expert series program, and it was focused on search attribution. And um, their big push right now is in uh, the artist formerly known as AdWords ads. <laughs> yes. Um, the that, platform. The platform. Known as yeah, that. AdWords. That. Um, the default conversion tracking method is a last click model. And the world is starting to realize that that is a terrible default. Can you can let's can you define that sure. real quick? Because there may yeah. be. I mean, I, I yeah. think a lot of times we we probably the, truth be told, the redirect podcast is our weekly opportunity to absolutely geek out on a lot of <laughs> yeah. things, search related and industry related. However, I think sometimes we we also I don't want us to alienate an audience. It's like I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Sure, right. So. Um, There's several different types of attribution models, but to keep it simple, we'll go with a first click and a last click model. Uh, Last click would be, um, did you go immediately from the click on the ad to the conversion point? Very logical thing. Yeah, let's say the conversion point is a a sale of a product or filling out a contact form as a lead of some sort. So that would be last click. So the last click before you fill out the form was the ad. First click method would be, let's say you clicked on that ad, went and got your data from the site, you learned, you researched, you went around the web, looked around, did your homework. One week later, you came back and you filled out that contact form to learn more. 
that would be a first click. There's different, there's time decays, there's linear, there's uh, different cross devices, different ways to do that in there. But the default is always last click. Mm -hmm. And the problem is you might not get your credit. If you do a last click in that first click example I gave, clearly the searcher learned of your product, whatever device you're selling, um, advertising, through the Google ad. But in the last click methodology, that example, the, the conversion would not have been applied. You would not Could have gotten credit. Organic you, search you, or yeah, referral you, address. you as an ad manager, uh, when you're giving your report back to your client, uh, would not have seen that little tick notch in your um, success in there. So for some reason, that's always been the default. Well, as, as technology advances and there's more and more opportunities to track this, we're leaning more towards uh, a first click. And mm -hmm. here at the Black Truck, um, it's something that we've always touted is to stay away from the last click. And I guess for me personally, um, Jason, you trained me on AdWords. I, I, I always have been off a, a last click and I didn't realize how prevalent that was. And it's, it's a pretty big deal how many people are out there are still using last click and are very confused by last click. Apparently a lot of agencies bill on a last click conversion methodology. It's, uh, well, A, that's a terrible billing model, so fiscally True. irresponsible. <laughs> B, I think it goes back to, and if you want to hear all about it, um, Ashley went to great length ap uh, on episode 59, so just even the pre, if you jump back one episode, uh, is when she talked about um, how many touch points it actually takes for most people to, right. to make a conversion. So again, if we fast forward to this discussion and kind of combine those two, if it's a last click and, and most people don't, don't convert on the first visit, mm -hmm. well, what if your organic search efforts are actually what introduced that person to the, the, uh, the product, but then they converted through the paid search ad yeah. versus what if they came in and were introduced to the product or the brand through paid search efforts, but then on the backside, converted um, directly or organic or through social. Right. Attribution is a really sticky wicket right now. It's something that analytics, GA, Google Analytics, is terrible at. Right. Google's been ta taunting that, that we're going to do something about it, and they haven't. Right. AdWords, Google Ads, at least we have options. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely something that needs to, uh, I don't know, case-by-case case individual conversion point by conversion point with all of your profiles, yeah. all of your different accounts that you manage. If you're an agency, you should go through and double check. All 100% this. agree. I mean, and I think that, that it, the, would you say, and I would be curious to know what they coach you on. And if there, obviously if there are things that maybe we can't share based on, that was a fairly exclusive thing that mm -hmm. you were a part of. Let's respect that. But, um, it's a pretty easy progression to go from last click model to depending on the type what it comes down to attribution selection is it depends on the type of business right first click might be applicable or time decay might be applicable yeah um so if you can explain maybe a little bit more about time decay too because sure. that, that's a good one that we like to use uh here as well yeah yeah let me just flip my pages through my notes you can probably do that <laughs> um <clears throat> oh, another one that's um, in a beta test and not available for everyone is a, a data-driven conversion point. 
and it's kind of a combination of everything. In, um, data driven is great. Yeah, I, I personally don't have any accounts that have I've come across that data driven. It's, it's going to be it, my understanding from our education with the Google team is um, you, you're talking those high um, I don't want to say high net worth that sounds terrible but like high spend fast moving um, uh, accounts uh, particular industries. But you have to plug in some some details in there, right? I mean, you have yeah. to plug in things like profit margins, industry that you're accountable for. So there's right. there's like a standardized profit margin or code to yeah. follow, mm-hmm. and and so it's a, it's a much more algorithmically driven. Yeah, it also helps to have um, place a value on a conversion. Agreed. So if if your conversion is simply a lead from a contact form, what is that valued to you? You know, mm-hmm. if you can find a way, even if it's just a rough number, so the algorithm can start building. Uh, yeah. Put something, input something, and it can start to build that data and create a model off that. Yeah. If you're automation. if you're a roofing company, while it might be hard to say, uh, you know, um, each roof is different. Right. There's got to be an average, a bread yeah. and butter. It's a ten thousand dollar roof, yeah. a thirteen thousand dollar roof. At least if you could plug that in. Right. And, and start to model it. That's on a closed sale. That's not necessarily the lead. Uh, agreed. Right, so it, it, there's there's going to be some gray area, and it's definitely going to be case by case, industry by industry, mm-hmm. individual business by individual business on what you want to establish on that one. But you know, it doesn't even have to be perfect to start with, just so it can start building. You know, if you want to throw ten bucks in there for a, a conversion, depends on the conversion. Is your conversion a, a purchase? Is your conversion a contact form? Is your conversion a landing on a certain page how do you measure value of landing on a certain page well that's going to be up to the business owner so you're, you're saying so if i'm reading into this a little bit more to help define it i think that in order to come up with the proper attribution model for your company for your business you need to understand what the conversion or goal is yeah duh <laughs> uh what's the time to that conversion right are we talking that these projects even when they come into the queue it's it's two to three years or are we talking, uh, I'm buying a package of socks? Right. Way, way different. So a uh, package of socks versus a refrigerator versus a boat versus um, I'm completely re-kitting out um, um, my enter- en- enterprise IT and server needs, right? If that mm-hmm. makes sense, cloud, cloud capabilities and backup and security and stuff. Those are distinctly different needs and, and the attribution should be set up accordingly. Right, right. So the different types, um, it's, it's pretty straightforward on a last click, first click, where, where the credit lies. Uh, with the other ones, we have a time decay, linear, position-based. Uh, that gets cloudier as far as who gets credit on the conversion, and the answer is it's, it's blended. It's, mm-hmm. it's mixed. So you get fractions at that point. And, and uh, like in a time decay, um, you know, maybe... 40% of the conversion goes towards the front, and then it, de- it, it goes down to like 10, 20% in the middle, and then you throw another 40% on, on the last click. There's still some areas for me to learn on this, because for me, I'm, I'm a, I gotta do it to learn it proper. So time decay will give you, so the, the time decay is very much a percentage base. And I would say, I mean, we, we use a bit of time decay based mm-hmm. on our clients' needs, and it works really well. What you run into, navigating that and that you have to educate a client or educate um, your higher ups on is there's the potential for what is known as a repeat rate. The repeat rate could be one, 
which is might as well be nothing, or 1.6 or 1.16, or which means it, it's it that 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 individual has repeated the conversion process twice, mm -hmm. meaning they they came in through one method and then came in through another method and then converted. Uh, with the time decay model, what ends up happening is they, they place a weight. It's a, it's a weighted average. And so the higher the weight gets placed toward the closest to conversion. So the closer you are to that actual end conversion, the more weight gets placed on Right. Now, if you are selling, I would say that any high ticket dollar value items, uh, time decay model is a good place to start if you're migrating away from last click. Would you agree, or do you um, think you disagree with so that? So, they kind of coach us that, let's say you're, um, <clears throat> to play the same kind of audience that you just said, mm -hmm. um, they put three categories on the last click slash time decay model, uh, would be conservative growth strategy, um, you're a market leader, and you have low competition. Um, on the opposite side of that, if you want to go position-based or first click, uh, you want to be growth-oriented, new to market, or high competition. Mm. So uh, that gives you, it, it's, it just depends on, like, for example, if you're a lawyer, you'd probably want to stick with first-click or position-based because it's highly competitive and it's, you want to be, your, your goal is growth. You know, if, if you're just out there keeping your audience aware, you don't have a lot of competition and you're a well-known industry product, consider looking at, like, a, a time to get our last click. I, I do think, too, it's worth noting that these attribution models, as of right now, are available for search. They mm -hmm. are not available for display. There are some versions available for display. Correct. Yep, but yeah, you're, not, you're fairly limited. So, yeah. so it's more, it, the attribution is much more robust in a search world. Right, right. Um, so when you start <clears throat> working on a non-last-click um, model, you get this window of time on how long it takes to get to a conversion. And there's different um, uh, attribution reports inside the, the new uh, ads platform that you can go in and reach, and it'll tell you uh, the time it takes to get to a conversion. And it could be not a whole number. And uh, for example, it might be 3.98 days it takes <laughs> you to get to a conversion. And, uh, Something that they made a really strong point to pass along that Jason and I haven't discussed with you here yet is when you're doing your reporting and reviewing for last month, if you have a, a five-day window that it takes your conversion to come through, and if you're mm. looking at last month's results on the third day of the month, you're not getting a full window. That's so they, a great point. They made the point to review last month's at least on the fifth day of the month because if you mm. have a four-day path, mm. Mm -hmm. if you have mm -hmm. a four-day path to your conversion and... On the fourth day of the month, that conversion will backdate to the previous month. Mm. So if you'd sent your report already, you did not send your client. So you almost need to be making sure, like, if you're, if when you're doing monthly reporting, it's not if, you should be. So note that, let's say right now you're, re you're reviewing what happened in September. You almost want to go back and double check what happened in August at this point yeah. and say, hey, are your numbers real? Did everything check out? Yeah. You know, and I, I think we've been fairly successful with integrating with other things. I actually love it when we can, especially in a B2B lead gen situation, when we can integrate that data with um, things, wh whether your CRM is HubSpot or Salesforce or Marketo or something like that, 
where the on the client side, on our clients, they can actually see really closely a one-to-one uh, by date and timestamp when that conversion path happened uh, to be able to, to quickly connect the dots. There have been occasions as of recent where they're not directly one-to-one. I think a lot of it has to do with the point that you just brought up. That right. You actually need to go back and revisit that conversion window yeah. time and say, actually, that person came in um, two months ago yeah. and just converted. Yeah. Actually, I, I actually thought about you when um, that subject came up because I know that you and I have tried to line up data points before and we mm-hmm. were kind of pulling our hair out trying to figure out why why these two numbers, depending on the source, weren't matching. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's all about knowing what your the data that's in front of you. It's Agreed. you can collect all the numbers in the world, but you got to know how to read them and when to read them. I, I agree, and I, and I think that the the more consumable the good is, the the easier it is to come up with an attribution model. the The longer <laughs> or more drawn out or the more expensive or the complex. purchases or complex, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, think about it this way: we always say, uh, again, if you're buying a candy bar versus buying a boat. Versus, um, you know, any high dollar value product requires more research and Mm -hmm. more time. So you really want to think about that and how that correlates to your attribution model that you're thinking of. And you need to just even, you have to break it down to help people understand. Mm -hmm. Don't just jump into a new attribution model, throw it out there and be like, well, boss, this is what we've got. Mm-hmm. Because you have to be able to walk them through that. We, I think we have the, um, the privilege of working with some really great clients that we get to work with who have invested in technology on their end that allow them to track sales and prospects and things in their CRM, whether they're a home services type company or whether they're a boat manufacturer. They know generally where things are at and we can help them connect the dots. I think that's huge. Right. A huge, huge step in a better attribution model. Right. Right. Um, I've got, there's like 40 pages in, of notes here. Are you going to share them all? Because no, we've killed 17 minutes I think in 58 should, seconds. I think we should move on because we covered quite a bit of this and we've killed 17.25 <laughs> We're now at 18, so it's okay. okay. You guys want right. to keep going? Yeah. All right. That's good. <laughs> no, it's really good. I, I really am glad. I, I think that... Uh, I don't, I'm not, I, you guys know I don't, do not toot our own horn a lot. And um, I, I think it's really great that you were able to go down there. It's a, it's a fantastic opportunity. We were presented with, um, and, and we certainly will, will take our, and I call them our friends at Google because they really are. I mean, we can, we can curse them on this organic search side, but really we have a, we have a great team as being a, a Google Premier partner, and um, we'll continue to work with them as, as much as we can and tap them for insights. So. And they had to build your own taco bar, too. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, did you go beef or chicken? Yes. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Ashley? Yeah. I'm going to shift gears. I guess we're still going to kind of stick in the Google world a little bit here. But Are you going to talk about content? No. Dang it. My other topic of choice, local. All right. So we've had some internal discussions lately about tools for tracking local um, keywords locally, mm-hmm. um, and this isn't exactly a solution for in-depth tracking. No, but, but there's some secret sauce coming. Uh, well, it is a a new way to gain some insight into how people are searching locally and and what queries are surfacing your business in local mm-hmm. results. Mm-hmm. Most specifically in 
uh, Google's local results and maps. So I don't know if you've seen anything about this yet. Um, it was announced a couple months ago that, um, well, I think even earlier than that, that Google was going to be rolling out queries in Google My Business Insights. Oh, that's right. You and you maybe had touched on that, or at least we talked internally in yeah. passing about it. It was, yeah. So it was announced this summer, and it didn't actually roll out to everybody until about the end of August. So everybody should have access to this now. If you log into Google My Business, assuming that you have a Google My Business account, and then you go into the Insights view when, um, when you go to Manage Your Listing, at the very top now, where you used to see like just graphs, mm -hmm. at the very top you'll now see queries used to find your business. Mm. And you can change the time span to be the last week, the last month, or a quarter's worth of data now. Um, I guess the quarter view is new, so that's mm. good to get a big chunk of data. So it will show you the query and how many unique users found you through that query. Oh, interesting. Now I try to get a little bit more specific on that, um, but I didn't have any luck. Google's a little bit vague on whether um, a user finding you means that you showed up in um, the local pack or a map, or that somebody actually clicked on your Google listing. You know, mm -hmm. whether you... So some, there's a gray area yeah. there still on, did they click or did they view or what yep. did they do? Okay. Yep, so I'm, I'm not 100% on that, but regardless, you, you appeared. Um, so... Yeah, it was. I spent some time looking through some uh, accounts that I managed to see um, just what was there, and I think it's going to be interesting to see if that data changes over time or um, just what kind of insights you can get because it's actually different data than what you will see in Google Search Console. And um, that's because Search Console will, re will report on impressions that and clicks from um, organic search as well as Google My Business where the Google My Business insights will show unique users that found you through those local Google results. Mm. Um, so I have to credit Joy Hawkins for this because she she wrote about this on Search Engine Land. Um, there's actually instances when, be it on desktop or mobile, your local result will show up in the you know the local three pack mm -hmm. or a map. It with it could possibly appear without your website. Um, there's instances where it will just show the option to call, or it might show an image associated with your business listing, and in those cases, that will be counted differently. Um, for instance, it'll still be counted in the Google My Business Insights because it was an, a quote-unquote impression, though that's not the term that mm -hmm. they use there. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Search Console, that won't count as an impression because your website did not appear in that listing. Man. Yeah. So, so that's... Uh, it, it, what that really comes down to in a lot of these things, so what Patrick touched on and even what you're you're talking about as local search has evolved, and it's one of the areas that we say is, uh, we often comment on is probably the most volatile. Um, it's a constant moving target as if SEO wasn't. <laughs> SEO in general. Um, it's, it, it, it becomes much harder to report on. Yeah. 
it becomes much harder to explain. And so whether you're in-house or agency side, you need to work on um, the way in which you're educating your constituents, the decision makers, the people who are funding your project, your program, your agency, um, to help them kind of walk through that and, and where that's important. Well, not to railroad uh, your complete uh, talking point, but where do you think this value lies? Like what type of business would this type of information be more beneficial than say, I'm gonna go look at search console data? I, well, I would say definitely, well, <clears throat> I would say local-based businesses. Um, well, we're all local-based businesses, well, right? Well, yeah, but... <laughs> you can call me an asshole, it's okay. Well, I'm going to turn the question on you then. Okay. So, um, I, would, I would certainly say that anybody that has a, a, a very strong hyper-regional focus, right? Okay. So, we can't just say local based business. I, I get where you're going, but uh, hyper-local regional emphasis, whether I have multiple locations, it's a brick-and-mortar store, I'm, I'm either service or product-based. Um, we've talked about it internally that the flaw in even reporting on keyword data nationally for a company that is based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a tier two or three city, and you largely serve most people here locally, why are you worried about your rankings at a national level? You should be worried about what's happening at a regional level, mm -hmm. the city level. Mm -hmm. I think this information that you have in front of you on your screen is much, much more beneficial than most companies give credit. Yeah, and I think you know it is flawed also because we're again we don't know exactly if it means someone actually engaged with your business oh, agreed, agreed. and we don't know um we know what how many unique users found you through that query but we don't know if they clicked we don't know you know there's a lot of unknowns um but i think yes from a behavioral perspective being able to see how people are searching in a way that you are surfacing and then you can use that insight to um, alter your messaging and and I and I like that the 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 key phrase that you use there is behavioral right which mm -hmm. gets into intent which it's not the how it's also the why um, you you have to understand that that information um, I think that's really a key point in that whole thing yeah now if only Google would make you um, not would make it so that you could ex export <laughs> yeah. the data. That would be useful. Well, you know, think but... of it this way, though, too. Um, you know, there have been uh, some folks that have been successful. You can port that data into Google Data Studio. Mm, yep. And then Data Studio is going to give you the opportunity to say, hey, I want to export this as a CSV. So you could, in a roundabout if this, then that way, do mm -hmm. it. Um, the fact that that information is available now um, pulling that into a custom dashboard for uh, in, in Google Data Studio, thinks I, I think that's the next logical step for anybody that's really focused on that. You know, also don't rely on one tool. Here, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> of course not. Especially because I wasn't going to say this, but since you mentioned that, um, yeah. As with all data, use your best judgment because we apparently attracted 21 users via the query roller coaster near me mm. for Black Truck Media and Marketing. 
So a we're, lot, we're a roller coaster. A lot of the other stuff checked out though. Oh, but okay. Yeah, we sh- we showed up for twenty one people for Did roller we make coaster. Reference yeah, at one point of what a roller coaster this industry is. I don't know. We should go optimize for a roller coaster. Is there? I mean, there aren't many nearby, so that's another opportunity. <laughs> right. SEO hey. hey. You know, maybe the front car is it called a car or a truck in a roller coaster? Oh. I don't know. I think I just answered that by calling it the front car. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do we want to go down that? Save that for Let's make episode. sure that we really write this out thoroughly when we okay. do the I really episode synopsis. Yes. yes. So I, I would say I'm going to put it out there right now. Here's me holding people accountable. This sounds like a great follow-up blog post. And I think that we could expect some additional information, maybe even with some screenshots or a video in how to look at this information um, uh, in the coming weeks. Okay. And we'll work together on that. So. Sounds good. Cool. Um, all right, so I'm switching gear completely. I'm going back to our favorite topic of 2018, but I'm going to start it with a question and voice have, voice we search? finally hit a plateau with voice search. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs> have marketers finally gotten down from the voice search soapbox? So, we know voice search is not going to be the next big thing, and we've covered it at large to a lot of extent in other episodes of the Redirect Podcast. Now, of course, it's, it is a disruptor that we know of. Google calls it as eyes-free searches off of our devices. But the fact of the matter is, is it's not driving commerce currently like many people think it will. So if you want to have a discussion with your CEO or the C-suite, I'd love to have that conversation, but we'd probably be walked out of the room. <laughs> So let's sidestep voice search and get into the world of conversational AI or conversational Mm. artificial intelligence. So I'll define it real quick. So what is conversational AI? It's very much uh, the next level progression in natural language processing. And it's pretty cool. So in a recent piece from Search Engine Land, a really great article, they disclosed there's three different ways that people can engage with a search engine. This is currently basic, three basic ways. Uh, Typing or text, uh, so a traditional search, voice or conversation, and an image search, right? We know that the future of that is coming and take a photo search for Mm -hmm. it. The biggest difference between voice search and conversational is that conversational is ongoing. So instead of simply saying, hey, Google, show me Mexican restaurants near me or nearby or by me, it's, it's very much uh, a conversation where you are continuing that. So um, the idea is that you're engaged with applications like Google, Siri, Alexa, Cortana. You're, you're asking ongoing questions. So when Cortana responds or when Google Assistant responds, it's, it might respond in an open-ended question. We, we've discussed this before in previous podcasts, probably around the beginning of the year of things where it came down. I think the example that Ashley used, if I remember, was um, like a, a hair salon or a beauty salon where oh. you you can you basically are engaged with the bot. Duplex. Duplex, yep, to uh, more or less schedule or get you up to the point of scheduling your appointment. That's conversational AI. Um, the interesting thing, dun-dun-dun, is that we'll argue all day long is that you are engaged with the personal assistant and not the search engine, okay? 
So that's how it's always been. That's probably how it will always continue to be. Um, the, the fascinating thing with it is, is that um, the direction is, do, are we saying goodbye to the, touch, the, the age of touch as the primary interface? Hmm. Um, so as voice assistants increase, uh, how people engage, where those results are coming from, we are primarily still focused on producing strategies and programs that are very much in a touch-oriented world when we don't think about the eyes-free side of it. Now, we have been talking at great lengths over the past probably 18 months about natural language progressions and natural language search, your content being written, how to prepare for that. We have a lot of different information out there. But as the AR and VR technologies that we currently have continue to grow, I think that typed searches will continue to change depending on the industry. So um, what Search Engine Land goes on to say is that voice search is all about position zero and owning your graph, which I kind of completely LOL about because, duh. <laughs> we know that if you say, okay, Google, you know, what is the square, square root of 285? It, it's the featured snippet that's going to give you those results back. It is fascinating, though, that when you talk to people, professionals, um, students in academia world, things like that, they're, they're blown away with the fact that that's what's being read back to you. Hmm. And that you have the opportunity to own that space. Uh, I want to provide a little feedback on that, mm -hmm. too. It's, it, the, my biggest argument was always, no, give me next result. We don't have a way to do that. Right. right. The after the, cl the yeah. after the search. Yeah, after the search. And so I think this whole entire um, AI and artificial intelligence and voice search thing initiated. The conversation kind of, if you squint, was when we started talking about featured snippets and how to get featured snippets. Um, I, I showed this to the team here the other day, and we didn't go into it deep. I think we're featured snippets have been around long enough now. Moving into the voice search and the search assistants now, we're at a place now where those places, those sites that gain those featured snippets are now starting to have spaces where we could have um, a 404 or a site's been removed. It happened to me oh, the other day, and right. I showed this to you guys. I was doing a reason. Uh, mm -hmm. We just moved into the cold mm -hmm. season here and um, prepping my fireplace, my wood-burning fireplace at home, and I was doing research on creosote sweeping logs. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I... Searched, do creosote sweeping logs work? And I got a featured snippet, but I wanted to continue through, so I clicked the link to follow through, or touched it with my phone, and the site had been removed. It, did, it wasn't a 404, yep. the site had been removed due to some type of violation or lack of pay or something, I don't know, um, server issues, I don't know. But it was an active featured snippet for a relative common subject, I would think, and the site was gone. The site didn't live anymore so what is that going to start doing if we start incorporating into this whole push that we had before to gain these featured snippets but now the sites are starting to um that were featured that are now indexed as a featured yeah. snippet that aren't getting a lot of competition are failing what's going to happen hey i mean if you're if you're a competitor you better be capitalizing on that because right. that's yeah. the, that's the opportunity to strike i i think that that there's there's an opportunity there that the the the, the stat is somewhere between forty percent to eighty percent 
of those that are read back are from a featured snippet. Right. Okay. So, but then there's also a ridiculously low stat that it's something like five or ten percent of the brands actually own a featured snippet. So, mm-hmm. um, the opportunity is still very ripe mm-hmm. for the picking. That's where things like schema markup and structured data and understanding that and including that in to pass through to the knowledge graph and claiming all of your business listings and making sure it's up to date. It goes beyond thinking of local SEO as strictly used for local search and more about business data and intelligence Mm -hmm. and making sure that I don't care if you're Black Truck Media here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we serve a clientele base that's nationwide, like we probably should own all of our spaces that we can, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't care if you're brick and mortar, do B2B, like you should own your Google My Business. Mm -hmm. You should own your address and Facebook. All of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it tells and feeds that information into Google for when someone's looking for your brand. Voice search type, it doesn't matter. Um, but I think one thing that they really do a good job of pointing out is that what, what we're going to understand is how people engage in conversational AI. So this, this very much is from Christy Olson, who is at Microsoft. She's a part of the, the Bing team. No doubt she's... She, probably is, is working through Cortana, which is, which is actually very impressive from a voice data perspective. Um, but what they're learning is, is that for voice-assisted search, um, the top 80% of queries, and I quote, text-based searches typically range between one to three words. So these, these um, uh, conversational uh, pieces tend to be... Um, Four to six words. So they're, they run in there. They're, they're much longer than a text-based search. People are engaging with the digital assistants um, as if they were having a real conversation in person. Um, so they're asking questions in full sentences, which help us, as we know, to give full um, signal of intent, right? You mm. can pull that data from Search Console for most part and other tools. Um, so there's an opportunity to think about, again, about the questions that your, your customers and your clients are asking. Uh, are you including all of that information? When, when, when you are writing your content, are you writing it in a similar language that they're using when they're asking that question? We had this conversation and continue to have this conversation with a reminder. There is always a difference between what you might want to call it, especially if you're in a technical industry, and what you think the engineering team or your IT team or whoever is calling it based on a buzzword or, an, or internal lingo versus who that decision maker is. Mm-hmm. If that decision maker is a frontline project manager or their C-suite, they're not using the same lingo that you and I are on the engineering floor. Not at all. They're probably a step or two below you or five parts removed. You need to have both angles included in your content to fulfill clearly, I think, current and future direction of content marketing and absolutely to even get your name at the table when it comes to conversational AI or voice search. Hmm. You know, so I'll end it with that. I don't want to go much longer on that. I think there's a lot more that's going to come out of conversational AI and chatbots and things like that. Um, so, but man, really good information. So Pat, your point of advice really is Good Lord, audit your Google Ads accounts and look to see if you are still on a last-click attribution model. If you are a brand and you are working with an agency, pressure them on this and see why in which they're using a last-click attribution model. 
Uh, and Ashley, to your point, uh, you know, your point's exactly there. Um, local search is becoming much more important to what it is that we do as SEOs, I think, as a whole. And being able to pull that data at the local level mm -hmm. is going to be really smart, especially if Google wants us to continue to invest in their products, right? Yep. And then, uh, and then obviously, uh, conversational AI. Long live voice search, Pat. I made a prediction at the beginning of the year. <laughs> you basically just told me I was right. So, all right. Well, cool. All right. Until next time. Good luck. This has been the Redirect Podcast. Check out the show notes at blacktruckmedia.com and add us on iTunes and Stitcher.